Yahweh saves. That's the name of Isaiah. We're looking at some great scriptures in this passage. Today, we're going to be in Isaiah 49 with a message called The Quiver. And I, I look forward to sharing this message because the, the passage has meant so much to my life that I just have been excited about sharing this passage with you. It's not unlike if you go to a great restaurant or hear a great song and you just want to share that with someone else. That's how I really feel about this scripture today. God has used it to stir me up and to give direction to my life. And I know it's going to do the same for you today. We have available in the back of the review, the outline already, already uh, the, the scriptures are already printed for you. And then we have an app called Version, And under live events, you can find the Church of Indian Lake, and you can see these scriptures and points already preloaded for you. Here's a story that really impacted my life. There was a wise old man who was reflecting on his life. And he said this, he said, when I was young, I wanted to be a revolutionary. And so I prayed, God, help me to change the world. And after some years when no one's life had been changed. I approached middle age. And at the half point of my life, I prayed, God, help me to change every person that I come in contact with, my friends and my family. And let those people that I contact, let me change them. And no one's life changed. And now I'm an old man and my years are numbered. And my prayer is, God, help me change myself. And if I would have prayed that when I was younger, I would not have wasted my life. I remember reading that story or that quote, and it both haunted me and inspired me. And what, what that story tells us is the power of transformation. That when God begins to change you, and when God begins to stir you, it makes a huge difference in this world. But often, we're pointing the fingers to everyone else and to everything else and not doing the hard work of introspection, the hard work of letting God transform us from the inside out. Isaiah 49 is a story, really, it's a process. It has multi-layers. But I want you, as you go through this process this morning, to recognize some of the phases you've been through and maybe a phase that you're in right now. And in the end, I want you to know this, that this is not a day of regrets. This is not a day to look and to feel like we've wasted something. This is a day to move forward. This is a day to see what God has before us. Because God has wonderful, wonderful opportunity for every single person here. It's right before us. And he wants to open your eyes right now. Isaiah 49, let's start with verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you people from afar. So this is a way to say, hey, the whole world, listen up. And people afar, that's certainly us today here in the year 2013. The Lord called me from the womb. 
From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my ride is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. He says it is too light a thing. And I just want to make a note here in the NIV and the other, a lot of the other versions, it says it's too little a thing. I like that. It's too little of a thing or it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribe of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nation that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the redeemer of Israel and his holy one to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Now, there's several things that are happening in this scripture that I believe how this applies. Now, first one is very obvious, but I want to make sure you understand this. This was foreshadowing Jesus. This was a messianic prophecy. This was pointing to Jesus. So that's for sure. I also believe, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but for some of you, you'll be able to, to really uh, this will this will resonate with your heart. This is a prophetic word for our church. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but I, I believe that in my heart. Thirdly, here's a third layer. This is personally applicable to you. So even though originally it was meant to talk about Jesus, it applies to you too. A proof of that, and we're not going to read that passage now, but you can look later, is in Acts 13. It's in your notes, it's in you version. In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas actually quoted their script, this scripture to talk about God's call on their life. So I want you to see this scripture that foreshadowed the Messiah now also has personal application to you and the process that you're in. And it's going to be a great encouragement to you today. Now, I want to, first of all, look at verse 1 again. Because there's something you need to see clearly. It says, listen to me, you, to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you people from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. The Lord called me from the womb. First thing I want to bring up today is the call. There is a very, very distinct call. And I specifically want to speak to an issue. And that is the issue of life. Should a Christian be pro-life or pro-choice? There's political arguments. There's judicial decisions. There's social observations. But I want to be very clear that I believe the Christian view on abortion is pro-life. Why? Not because of a political party, not because of some kind of argument from a politician 
or psychologists or a sociologist, but because of the scripture. I want to be very clear about that. Now, are there Christians who are pro-choice? There are. There are because we're saved by grace and we're saved by that. And I know this, that a high percentage of us, a very high percentage, probably a higher percentage than people actually admit, have been a participant in an abortion. And I want you to know something. That is not an unpardonable sin. An abortion is a sin, but so is the hatred in our hearts. So are many of the things that are hidden within. And our God is gracious and he has forgiven you. But just because you may have participated in something out of ignorance or lack of understanding or just simply made a mistake doesn't mean supporting policy, that policy politically is going to make you feel better about something you participated in. All I can do is point to the scripture. The scripture is crystal clear that life begins in the womb. It doesn't begin at delivery. This is echoed again in Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. Jeremiah said, before I formed you, this is God speaking to him. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Galatians chapter one, verse 15 has this same theme again. It says, when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. God has a call upon every human life. Every human life. Now we know this from the study of leadership that most great leaders overcame adversity as a child. They overcame tough situations. Difficult situations and adversity and poverty and a lack of education. Those are things that as Christians we need to correct. But God has used difficult situations to cause great leaders to emerge. Sadly, often the opposite is true. Those who are the the children of the rich and the elite and the famous often have, unfortunately, destructive lives. And yet we're trying to engineer who we think should live and who shouldn't live based off economic realities and based off convenience. And I just want us to be clear. I don't care where you are politically. This has nothing to do with, a, with, with politics. It has everything to do with the scripture. The scripture says life begins at conception, it begins in the womb. So because of this, now this is where you need to apply it to your life now. You are called. You are not an accident. You are not some kind of spontaneous reaction biologically. God has a plan for you. God has a destiny for you. God has appointed your days. God has uniquely gifted you. God has called you. See, this is not This is for you. This is not just for a special person or a prophet or or that one person used by God. Every single one of us have a call on our life, have a purpose on our life. Regardless of the circumstances of our birth, God has a call on our life. And that is the basis to understanding the scripture. When you understand that 
The one who called you. He called you. Put verse 1 up again. Verse 1, it says this. Before I was born. Verse 1 of Isaiah 49. Listen to me. The Lord called me from the womb. There's a call on your life. There's a destiny on your life. Now, if you believe that, if you believe that there's a call on your life, and you believe what the Bible says, the Bible says this, that there's a call on your life, then if God's called you, then God's gifted you. Here's the second part of the process. I want you to see there's a gift. If God gives you a call, then God gives you a gift. Now, for, Jared, for, for this person, this messianic prophecy here, this was a verbal gift. The sword of the Lord, the word of the Lord. Let's look together at verse 2 again. It says this, you have, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. This points to Jesus clearly. Because Hebrews 4.12 says this, the word of God is living and active is sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division. So Jesus has the word on his mouth. He has the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is on his mouth. Revelations chapter 1, verse 16 is a description of Jesus. It says, in his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. There is a word. There is a sword. There is a verbal gift. Can I just remind you of something that... In society, a man or woman speaking to a crowd is still very effective. Comedians, that is still very effective. A comedian giving jokes. Our politicians, our presidents, our president, they, he gives a State of the Union address. When there's a crisis in our country, he speaks live. He doesn't do a video. He speaks live because there's something about a person speaking to a crowd that's effective. So it is that the preaching of the gospel still is effective. When a man or woman of God speaks, there's a verbal, there's a verbal gifting that the kingdom of God is advanced through that. And certainly through Jesus, Jesus has the word on his mouth, the sword on his mouth, and he makes a difference. So look at verse 2 again. It says this. Here's the gifting. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. Now, you may or may not have verbal gifts, but here's how I want you to apply this to your life. You have a gift. It's very particular. It's very unique. It's very customized just for you. Every single one of you has a gift. And God wants you to recognize out of your calling, if God had a call for you in the mother's womb, in your mother's womb, if God had a destiny when you were conceived, then he has a gift to cause that destiny to come forward. Now, these gifts, many you may have discovered, and some of these gifts are undiscovered. Some gifts of yours last for a season and they end but that's not the end of your identity. That's an end of that gift today. And God's going to open a new gift tomorrow. And so it is that the gifting of God, the gifting of God for the Messiah, it was a sword in his mouth. For you, that gift is something unique and something special. And God wants you to discover that. One of my jobs as a father is to help my children discover their gifts. I'm not going to help them discover every gift because some gifts they're not ready for, but I want to give them experiences to help them discover their gifts. That's part of my job as a father. 
That does not end in childhood. That does not end in adolescence. I want to challenge you adults to discover new gifts. There is something you've never done before that you need to try out. There's a risk you need to take. Uh, There's something you need to discover And maybe it's something that's been nagging you and you thought, man, I've always wanted to try to do this. I've always wanted, I've had an interest. I've had a draw. I've had a pull. Why not try it? Why not give it a shot? When's the last time you've done something for the first time? Take a risk. Do something you've never done before. Stay in an attitude of discovery because every gift that you have has not yet been discovered. There is a new gift. Sometimes God doesn't want you to see the new gift until a certain season of your life comes. But his gifting is attached to his call. The one who knew you in your mother's womb has put a sword in your mouth. He's given you a gift. He's given you an ability. And he doesn't want you to minimize that. Some of you are so hard on yourself and have such self-defeating attitudes and even words about yourself that you can't see all God has for you. And he wants you to rest in the shadow of his love. When you know you're chosen, then those giftings are gonna come. And before we had wireless internet and the cell phones and the ability to text, and the ability to take our Kindles or phones and read, there used to be something in our society that we did called waiting. Does anybody remember that? Pre-cell phone, yes, I'm old enough to remember. When I was in high school, the first 16 years of my life before I could drive, I did a lot of waiting around because I'd be dropped off at the mall and I'd hope my friends would show up and then Later on that night, I'd wait for my parents or my sister to pick me up and hope someone would pick me up. And so you did a lot of waiting. Now, now that I'm an adult, I don't like to wait. In fact, time management is a hobby for me. I know Beth loves that about me, don't you, Beth? The way I manage, especially when I manage Beth's time. She just loves that. She loves that so much. So I'm all about efficiency. If, if I hit a, I literally, if I hit a red light, I pull out my Kindle and I read a couple of pages. If I hit traffic, I read. It's all, you, you want to use your time effectively. I use Siri. She's a good friend of mine because I can talk to her and she can send out text messages for me. No wasted time. That's great, right? Does anyone else like the fact there's no wasted time? So that's, that's part of my mindset. But I realized something. Waiting wasn't always bad. Because those times when we would have to wait, like we'd be stuck somewhere and there was no way to get a hold of anybody or we're waiting for someone else to show up. We don't know whether or not they're stuck in traffic or whether they changed their mind or whether we're gonna get stood up at the restaurant and we're just waiting. You know what happens when we wait? We get to think a lot. Sometimes in waiting, significant conversations happened with people you were waiting with or with strangers Creativity happened when we waited. So waiting wasn't all bad. In fact, now our, all of our creativity is right here in this, this little phone. When we used to have to wait, we had to be creative right here. Here's the third part of the process I want you to observe is this, the waiting. The waiting sounds like it's a terrible thing. The waiting sounds bad, but in the waiting, In the wait, 
something beautiful can happen. Look at verse 2 again, the second part of verse 2. He made my mouth like a sword, and in the shadow of his hand, look at this phrase, he hid me. God hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. There are times when God chooses to hide us. Now, if we're being goofy and stupid and in sin, that's a different type of hiding. I'm talking about the times when we're walking in the spirit, we're in fellowship with God, yet we're hidden. We're concealed. We're by ourselves. Or better yet, maybe it's not that we're by ourselves, we're unrecognized. We're on the shelf and we feel like God's not using us the way we anticipated. We're, we're concealed by his choosing. We're in the quiver and we're hidden. I want to encourage you this morning that if you're in that situation or if you remember being in that situation, our God's not wasting your time. Our God has not forgotten you. Our God is not overlooking things as if you've slipped his mind. He has a purpose in the wait. He has a purpose in the hiddenness. He is at work even when we can't see it. I was thinking about this sermon this week. These sermons kind of just work on you all week as you go. And in my personal devotions, I came across a scripture I don't ever remember reading. It's in Psalm 105, Psalm 105, verse 19. And then the NLT, the NLT kind of makes scriptures pop sometimes because it's a newer translation. But look at these words. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Now, you know the story. If you don't, you need to go back to Genesis and read that. But this is a remarkable scripture. Until the time came to fulfill his dream, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Can I remind you of this this morning? If you're hidden, if you're concealed, if you're in the quiver, our God has a plan. Our God has a purpose. He's testing your character. Our God is doing something even when you can't see it. You might think God's forgotten you, but God knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly what he's doing. And there's a reason why you're concealed. There's a reason why you're hidden. Look at verse 2 with me again of today's text. And you notice this, the title of the message is The Quiver. He, he, in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. And by the way, if you're going to be hidden, that's the right place to be in the hand, in the hand of God, right? God, the shadow of God's hand is not a bad place to be. And he made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. Now, I'm not an expert at ancient archery at all. But I do have commentaries, and I read them. And it talked about this, that... The quiver was like a backpack or a satchel, maybe a leather satchel. And the archer would put those arrows in there, in that satchel. And as he would walk, and as he would go along, the arrows in the bottom of the, of the quiver would rub up against one another. And they were concealed, and they were hidden in the quiver. But they were polished as the archer, archer walked along. The abrasion, the friction, polished the arrows. There was purpose in the hiddenness. 
There was purpose when the arrow wasn't being used and it was hidden away. It was being prepared for the time when the archer needed the arrow once again. Can this be an encouragement to you today? That God has a purpose in your hiddenness. God has a purpose in the quiver. God has a purpose when you can't see. And he is causing, he is causing good things to happen. Because part of the process is this, the fourth one is this, is the frustration. We're frustrated because we can't see. But can I tell you why we can't see? We can't see because if we saw everything God has for us, we would get the big head and we would get prideful and we would mess it up anyway. So often, many of us have the same type of emotions that are in verse four. Look at verse four of Isaiah 49. It says, but I said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. Look at that attitude. That's an easy attitude to have when we're hidden. It's an easy attitude to have when we're in the quiver, when we're being tested, when we're in a trial. Think, man, I've labored in vain. I spent my strength for nothing. All of this church attendance, all of this tithing, all of this giving, all of this morality, all of this discipline, what good has it done? There's a frustration that can easily come when we're hidden because we can't see the whole picture. But God's here to encourage you today. God's here to encourage you today that the quiver is a good place to be. The hiddenness is a good place. Our God hasn't forgotten you. He has a plan and you're getting polished. You're getting sharpened. You're becoming better. He has a plan for the hiddenness. Don't lose heart. Don't get frustrated. Don't give up. Don't stay in discouragement. Don't stay in frustration. Instead, trust your God. Trust God and his ability and his power and his ability to make this happen for you. Our God will come true, come through. That's what he'll do. He'll come through for you. That's his plan. Why? Why does our God want to come through? Because he has a plan. Here's the last thing is because of the influence. God is going to give you an incredible influence, better than you can imagine, better than you can see, better than your mind can conceive right now. And so we go to the, as we go back to our passage, in verse six, he says this, it's too light a thing. In the other versions, he says, it's too little a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Wait a second, that's a huge thing. For God to use the Messiah to bring Israel back to the place it should be. We love Israel at this church. That's a huge thing. That, that's, that, would, be, that, that would be everything. That would answer all the hopes and the dreams of the Jewish people. That, that the tribes of Jacob and Israel would come back together. But this is what the Lord says. It's too light a thing or too little a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the redeemer of Israel and his holy one, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation. So I'm gonna tell this to, 
to you, the Messiah, you, the one who is opposed. Kings shall see and arise. Princes, they shall prostrate themselves. That's a good word, isn't it? To think, wow, I was once hated. Now people are going to worship me. Now, why is this going to happen? Here's, I want you to see this next slide. This is why it's going to happen. Because of the Lord. Because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One, who has chosen you. God has chosen you. God has called you in your mother's womb. God has gifted you. God has hidden you. God has helped you come through the frustration. Why? Just so you can be fulfilled? No, it's bigger than that. Just so you can feel good about you reaching your own potential? Just so you can achieve your dream? No, that's too little too. He is doing it because there's something bigger that you can't see. There's something bigger that your mind yet can't conceive. There's something bigger that you can grasp for the sake of his name, for the sake of the nations, for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of his glory. Your life is not a little thing. Your life is not insignificant. Your dream is not something small. There's something bigger. There's something greater. God's up to something you can't see. He's working through your call. He's working through your gifts. He's working through your hiddenness. And he's saying, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't get frustrated. Don't abandon God. Don't distrust your maker. Don't turn your back on the one who called you. Instead, watch and see God do amazing things in your life. That's what God wants you to hear. It's too small a thing. It's too little of a thing. For the sake of his name, for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of his plan, our God is at work even when we can't see it in the quiver. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much that you gave me this scripture. Lord, you gave me this scripture at a very difficult time in my life. It's 1994, God, that you gave me this scripture at an unlikely time, an unlikely place. And now, God, I get to give it to my friends today. You're so good, Lord. And I just want to speak life over this word to you. And this is what I'm going to pray over you, that the seed of this word will not leave you in the parking lot of this property. That the seed of this word is not going to leave in your vehicle. That when you put your head on your pillow tonight, it could be that God's going to bring back a phrase, a word, a scripture, a thought from this message today. When you wake up in the morning, that I'm just praying that maybe for you, God's going to give you a thought, a phrase, a word, a feeling from this message today. Tuesday afternoon, I'm going to pray that when you least suspect it, that God's going to bring back a phrase, a word, a scripture. You're going to pull out your Bible. You're going to pull out your smartphone. You're going to find Isaiah 49. You're going to see the anointing that's on this scripture. There's an anointing on this word. There's an anointing on this that God is at work. God is at work. God is at work in your call. God's at work in your gifts. God's at work in your hiddenness. God is going to get you past your frustration and big things are in store for you. I don't say this to give you false hope. I don't say this, that big things are in store for you to boost your self-esteem or to make you feel better about who you are. I say big things are in store because our God is advancing his kingdom and his purposes and he needs you. He's chosen you. Our God wants to advance his cause through your character. And he wants to advance his cause through your call. And he wants to advance his cause through the discipline of your life. And it's not for your name. And it's not for your potential. And it's not for your sake. 
sake. It's for the sake of the kingdom. It's for the advancement of his purpose. It's so that God's name may be known on this earth. And he is stirring it up. He is stirring up his gift in you. And I just want to speak over you, Isaiah 49. In Jesus' name, this word's going to stir you. This word's going to impact you. This word's going to mark you. I pray that this word would just fill your mind and heart and spirit. And let it be so. In Jesus' name.